Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are continuing our sermon study on Hebrews chapter 11, a a tour, I suppose we could say, of God's hall of faith, these Old Testament Christians who lived by faith in the coming Savior. Maybe as we've gone through this sermon series, you've, you've recognized a truth. The truth is, even these heroes of faith stumble in their faith. They are unfaithful to God. And yet, their unfaithfulness never cancels God's faithfulness. It's a tremendous comfort for you and me as well to know that that God forgives sin and that we stand before him holy and blameless, not by what we do, but by faith in the Savior who already lived perfectly in our place, and died for our sins. So today, we're going to take a look at Isaac and Jacob, two of the patriarchs of our faith, fathers of faith. Isaac was Abraham's son. Jacob was Isaac's son. We'll talk a little bit about the story as we go through it. But the writer to the Hebrews picks events from the end of these two men's lives, from Isaac and Jacob's lives. There are other things in the Bible that he could have chosen, and yet I think there's a good reason he picks these events at the end of their life. As they see their time in this earth winding down, what they want is to pass on, to make sure that their children know the same faith that got them through the lives that God gave them. Listen to how the writer to the Hebrews reports it in verses 20 and 21. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Did you know? Did you know what was supposed to be this weekend? Opening service of the 2020 Olympic Games. Yep, they were supposed to start this weekend. Maybe you even forgot because COVID, like so many other things, canceled the 2020 Olympic Games, postponed them until next year. Did you know this? They actually began the torch relay. Did you know they do this before the Olympics? They light the torch and they take it to different places and ultimately to the country where the games are being hosted. They had to stop the relay because of COVID as well. It's kind of a neat picture though, isn't it? That idea of passing the torch. It actually dates all the way back to the very first Olympic Games in the 700s B.C., As a current Olympic game practice, it's less than 100 years old. But it's quite an honor to be one of the people that carries the torch from one place to the next as that Olympic flame is passed. We have an expression in our English language, don't we? Where we say, I'm passing the torch. It comes from this very picture. And the idea of passing a torch is this idea of maybe someone else carrying on your responsibilities or conferring some sort of blessing or benefit to somebody else. That's a pretty good picture of what we see in Hebrews chapter 11 and the stories of Isaac and Jacob. We see two men at the end of their lives wanting to make sure that the torch is passed on to the next generation. And so today we're going to use that very theme for our sermon today, passing the torch. And I want you to note two things as we think about the lives of these men and their children and grandchildren. The way they could pass this torch on was, first of all, by recognizing the past blessings that God had given them in their lives. And then, 
as they blessed these children and grandchildren, what they were doing is looking ahead. They were trusting God's future promises. Let's start talking a little bit about Isaac. He's the one we read about in our story today. And I didn't fill in all the gaps with the lesson that we had, but maybe you remember some of these things from your Bible history days. If you don't, Genesis 25 and 27 would be great chapters for you to review. Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, waited waited for God to give them children. And then when he did, he gave them twins. Twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Do you remember this about Jacob? He came right after Esau was born and he was literally grabbing onto the heel of Esau as he was born. That idea of grasping the heel came to mean deceiving or tricking. And one of the things that we get to see through this Birth, the, these births of, of Esau and Jacob is the fulfillment of a prophecy that God made before they were born. Before those two twin, those twin sons were born, God had said the older would serve the younger. In other words, Esau would serve Jacob. Jacob was going to be given a greater blessing, higher prominence. He was the one through whom the promise of the Savior was going to come. It didn't happen as easily as perhaps it should have. Maybe sort of seeming a little bit like a soap opera is this whole account of how the blessing came about when it was time for Isaac to pass on the blessing. Did, did you catch that in the reading? That it almost seems as if Isaac was trying to do an end run around what God wanted. Isaac and Rebekah knew that Jacob was the one to be blessed. And yet, because they played favorites... Isaac favoring Esau and Rebekah favoring Jacob, the way this all came about seems to prove an absence of faith almost, doesn't it? Here's Isaac telling Esau to go out and prepare some game for him, hunt and find something to prepare for him so he can give him his blessing. Not to be outdone, Rebekah overhears what's going on and she wants her favorite, Jacob, to get the blessing. And so she prepares a couple of goats the way her husband, Jacob's father, likes them. And then, we didn't read this part, but maybe you remember this from your study of the Bible because it's so striking. Do you remember what Rebekah has Jacob do so that he can be passed off as Esau? He puts goats, they put goat skins on his hands and on the back of his neck. They dress him in Esau's clothing so that he smells and feels like Isaac is blessing his older son. You heard in the reading that Isaac can't see very well anymore. And so he confers the blessing on Jacob. He was tricked into giving him the blessing instead of Esau. One of the things that I think is important to note here, someone once said it this way, that the Bible shows us these even heroes of faith, warts and all. There's no excuses made in the Bible that somehow these heroes of faith that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11 are these perfect people, these model examples of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's because it isn't about what we do, but about what Jesus has done in our place. And even though Isaac tried to find a way around what God really wanted, God overruled Isaac's thoughts. Here's an interesting thought from the reading that we had earlier. We're told that when Esau came back and Jacob had been given the blessing, that Isaac trembled violently. 
Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why he trembled violently. And there's probably two reasons that we could give. He could simply have been angry. Angry at being tricked by his wife and his son Jacob. But there's another thought there. Is it possible that Isaac trembled violently because he recognized he tried to disobey God? He went toe-to-toe with God and he lost? Amazingly, God went, worked through even the sinfulness of Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau to bring the blessing of the Savior through that family. Let's talk a little bit about Jacob then later in his life as he is in Egypt on his deathbed. He also conferred blessings on his descendants. You might remember that Jacob had 12 sons. He actually had 12 sons by four different wives, four different women. You might remember that Jacob made some of the same mistakes that his parents made and that he played favorites too. And his favorite was Joseph. So when it was time for Jacob's blessing to be conferred on his offspring, he actually blessed his grandsons first. Joseph's two children, Manasseh and Ephraim, both who were born in Egypt, got full shares of inheritance in the promised land, a blessing that came from God. That's what, Joseph, that's what Jacob was telling those two sons of Joseph as he gave blessings to them, that they had a future in the land that God had promised. What's interesting about this is, again, this happens in the exact opposite way that we would think. You would think that Joseph's firstborn would get the greater blessing, right? But that's not how God does it. He doesn't follow the natural order of things. And there, again, is a good lesson for us in the way God deals with us too, isn't it? Naturally, we think we must do something. We must have to do something to make ourselves right before God. And God says, that's not how I work. I've already done it for you in your Savior, Jesus. As Joseph's sons, Jacob's grandsons, came forward to be blessed, Joseph made sure that the older Manasseh was on the right-hand side of Jacob and that Ephraim was on the left-hand side. The right hand conferred the greater blessing. But when those two boys approached, do you remember what Jacob did? He actually switched his hands and he blessed the younger Ephraim greater than he blessed the older Manasseh. Joseph even objected. He said, no, dad, you got the wrong ones. And Jacob said, nope, I know what I'm doing. What's amazing about this is it all comes from God. The prophecies that Jacob and Isaac made came true. God gave them the information to pass on to their children. We see that in the last verses of our text that Jacob was worshiping as he was leaning on top of his staff. He trusted that God was going to carry out the blessings that he was given. That's the legacy that Isaac and Jacob left for their children and grandchildren, this passing on of the blessings that they enjoyed in the life that God gave them. Really what it involves is that idea of looking back. Isaac, Jacob, both had a lifetime to review and think about all of the times that God made good come out of even the most difficult situations. And then they looked ahead. They looked ahead in faith knowing that God was going to do everything that he had promised. Really what they trusted is what you and, you and I trust as well. We trust God's faithfulness. That God who gives these promises will carry them out. He will do exactly what he says. One of the things that, well, can I say this for those of us who have a little bit more experience in life? One of the things that's actually a blessing of getting older is you have more 
evidence of God's faithfulness to draw on. It's really maybe the only great thing about getting older, I don't know. But it's wonderful. It's wonderful because I can look at my life and say, you know what, something similar to this happened not too many years ago. And you know what, God made sure that we got through it. God made sure that his blessings came true. God made sure that we saw his faithfulness through even those difficult times. Do you, like me, marvel at Christians who have that life experience, who live their lives with relatively little fear and worry? Or at least not outwardly. They just demonstrate their faith and how they live and what they believe and what they do because they know God is faithful. Every day that we live is an opportunity for us to give confession of the trust that we have in God, to live knowing that God truly is faithful. When the difficulties of this life hit, one of the greatest questions we can ask ourselves as God's people is simply this. Okay, God, what are you trying to accomplish? You're in control. You know everything that's happening. You have all power. What are, what are you doing in my life? What are you wanting me to see? And it starts with understanding Yes, we stand before God with the same kind of warts that Isaac and Jacob and others did, but that in the blood of Jesus, we too are forgiven. That God sent Jesus to take our place so that we stand before God holy and blameless. And we are heirs of a life with him forever. Every day we have a chance to be examples to others of what it means to live by faith. And maybe the greatest people that we have to influence are the people right in our own homes. Our children, maybe grandchildren, with this idea that we can pass the torch of faith onto them in the way that we live, trusting that our lives are in God's hands. There have been some interesting times in the last four months for our students here who have sat in their apartments or in their homes and taken their classes online, for parents who have unknowingly become at-home teachers. It's been a lot, hasn't it? And then we have many of you, I'm sure, that are working from home as well. You kind of maybe get your own corners in the household to see where it is that you can work, right? But one of the things that I have recognized over the last four months is God has provided a lot of teachable moments. I really wish I could stand up here and tell you I've been the best teacher. My children have seen the best teacher at home. But I, I would be less than honest if I didn't tell you there were times that complaints maybe came out of my mouth, frustration about what's going on in the world. And I, I, I don't know that that, that that was exactly the way to pass the torch on to my children. But here's what I hope. I hope what my family remembers are the times that we went back to those promises of God and reminded ourselves exactly what God says and found our confidence and our hope in that. I hope the prayers that we offered together to say, all right, God, we're putting this in your hands, knowing that you're the one who knows all things. I hope those are the things that stick. And the opportunities that we took to say, you know what, we could look at all of the bad things that are going on in our world and focus on those, but maybe, maybe if we just take some time to think about the blessings, the blessings that have come even through the difficult times, maybe even writing those down, what a blessing that is. Could I say this? Maybe the last four months is one big teachable moment that God is giving us. A teachable moment in which God is saying to us, I don't want you to get too far away from me. I want you to remember that you need me and that I'm here for you and that in Jesus, my love for you is proven.
and guide us back to him again and again. Those teachable moments is that are exactly what Moses was thinking about in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when he wrote these words to the children of Israel as they were about ready to move into the promised land. Talking about God's promises and God's word, he says this, Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What Moses wanted for the people of Israel is what God wants for you and me. For him to be front and center. To be able to see him even in the midst of the difficulties through which we go. As I think about passing on the torch, I think about goals that I pray for for my children and grandchildren someday. Maybe some of you share these prayers. Certainly, it's great to have prayers offered for our children and grandchildren. I think about things like wanting them to be successful in their school, in their schooling. I think about wanting them to have good friends, a great career, a loving spouse, a wonderful family. And when I think about all of those things, I realize, yeah, those are great things to pray for, for our loved ones, but, but, but maybe they pale in comparison, don't they, when we think about spiritual blessings? Is it fair for me to say this, the Bible says this very thing, that it would be worth it for us to have a life of complete misery as long as we didn't finish our life anywhere other than but our eternity with our Lord in heaven? And that's not necessarily what God wants for you and me. That's not what God says. But it would be worth it, wouldn't it? Nothing else in this life matters as long as my life in heaven is secure. There's nothing, no goal greater for our children or grandchildren, for ourselves, than to keep the faith all the way to the end of our lives. And it's that faith, the same faith that Isaac and Jacob passed on to their children and grandchildren, it's that faith that provides the proper outlook on life. It reminds us that this life won't last forever, but our life in heaven is for sure and forever. It fills us with hope. Hope in knowing that the same Jesus who loved us so much to stretch out his arms on a cross and die for us, that same Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's prepared that place for us with him in heaven. That's our future. I can't think of any better legacy that parents and grandparents, families can leave with their loved ones than the idea that faith is more important than anything else in this life. It's exactly what the psalmist said in Psalm 28 as he encouraged people to leave that legacy, to pass that torch. He wrote it this way, We will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Some takeaways from our Passing the Torch sermon today. Number one, God is faithful, fulfilling past promises and future promises. That's the joy that you and I have. We worship a God who always is true to his word. Everything that he says, he will do. Number two, we want the best for our children and grandchildren and the best is found in Jesus. Please don't misunderstand. It's great to pray for your grandchildren, your children. It's great to pray that, that God blesses them, that God gives them enjoyable lives in this earth and the blessings that, that you want them to have here, but, but pray for their spiritual blessings too. 
Pray that God would keep them close to him. Pray that he would touch their hearts with that faith and guide them to a life eternal. And finally, number three, the greatest legacy we can leave behind is a legacy of faith in Christ. That's what helps when the troubles of life hit, when the difficulties come, when frustration and disappointment happen, that outlook of knowing something far better is still waiting for us through Jesus. Maybe you have your favorite thing that happens in the Olympics that we aren't going to see for another year. My favorite is track and field. Any track and field fans out there? You like track? Only a couple. Okay, we got a couple track and field. All right. I love the, I love the tracks. I love, it's so fun to watch. My favorite by far are the relay races. The smoothness with which those runners are able to pass a baton from one to another as they race around the track is truly incredible. It's almost as if you can't see it happen. They're so good at it. But have you seen this? Every once in a while, a team will be disqualified because in their effort to pass the baton from one to the other, it ends up on the ground, right? God wants you and me to pass that baton onto others, especially those that he has given close to us, our children, our grandchildren, and he wants us to point them to Jesus. That's what holds them close. That's the passing of the baton, the passing of the torch from generation to generation, pointing others to Jesus and letting them know in that, in that sacrifice that Jesus made, they're loved and forgiven. And in the end, the finish line makes it all worth it, doesn't it? Jesus is going to welcome you and me home with open arms to the perfect joy of heaven. Amen. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.